0: Relationships. Oh, man, aren't they awesome? Aren't they trying? (laughs) Aren't they hard to work at, but aren't they beautiful when they work well? Uh, When we started this, my whole intention was that, uh, what are the things in the back of my mind, just like the outreach for the students, is that our church is headed in a direction where if we don't have good, solid relationships within the body, then we can't do what God has called us to do. And I think that that's true individually and and, in every way in all of our lives. But as a church body, as we move together, our relationships get stronger, but they're also, like, challenged a little bit as we work together and as we try to figure out God's direction. And so it was my intent that, uh, you know what, we would look at the various different types of relationships and say, God, how do we do this as well as we can? How can we do relationships in such a healthy way that as we move individually and in our families or as a single or in small group or, or in this church reaching out to our community, how do we do it and enjoy the presence of one another in the midst of doing it? So that's, uh, that's the reason that I decided to do this series. And, you know, there is no other relationship more trying but more beautiful at times than marriage, right? And look, single folks, don't bail out on me right now, okay? Really, don't, don't. Because I know he's like, oh, man, I knew he was going to talk on marriage. He hadn't talked on it in so long. It was good, and I'm single. And I, you know, but listen, here, here's the thing about relationships. Here's the thing about a church body is that we're in this together. And my friends who are single have just as much to say to me as a married man as anybody else does. They see things, they pray for me, they see how uh, Karen and my, how our relationship is, and if they love me, they speak into my life. But you don't have to be another married person to have a word from God for somebody. And I want you to know that's, that's very true, and that's true in this church. And, and the fact of the matter is 90% of people will eventually get married. That's the recent stat, 90%. And so, uh, if you're not married yet, a great number of you will get married, and if you never marry, you are still a brother or a sister in Christ and a friend of whom I need your presence in my life, and of whom we all do, right? So, that's why, you know, if you're single, you still listen, and you learn, and you go, okay, I'm going to learn how to help Tim and Karen, I'm going to take notes this morning, you know, and i want to do that, so that, uh, don't bail out on me on this, so, That's where we're headed this morning. We're going to be over in a kind of a controversial uh, section of Scripture of an Ephesians 5, which I I like jumping into Scripture that can be misunderstood. And and so we're going to jump into that. But, you know, there's all kinds of advice, right, for marriages. Many of of us have heard them, but watch this. Contract, one that I do not intend to break, but that doesn't mean I have to like it or work on making it better. No, they say that 50% of communication is not verbal, so that's why I just try to avoid anything at all. I <laughs> think it's a stressful day at work, and I can tell you that I think it best to throw all my anxieties and complaints on him one <laughs> after another. <laughs> really good, it's really like some kind of competition between us who competition yeah. uh, I I my wife and I get into a loud screaming match. I like to make sure that I scream loud enough for the kids to hear. In fact, sometimes I actually have them stand around and listen to a yell. He's a rocket build a bridge, but Love won't build a tunnel under his insecurities or fly in an airplane over his lack of communication or a rocket ship to avoid his Struggling economy out there in need of simulation. I should more than I can afford for the good of this country. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words mm-hmm. may never hurt me. Well, you know what? Compliments don't help anyone either. And that's what they will tell you. People think that marriage is like a big delicious cake full of ingredients like love, commitment, community. where most of the ones are really disgusting when you're bonnet. And even for there'd be so many when we first bought it. But sometimes it'll come across some that are fine. Mm-hmm. Joy is something on like a Christmas morning, or when you're playing with puppies, or when you just won the lottery. Joy in marriage? Is there peace in war? Is there honesty in politics? No one ever wants something worth having without blood and tears. Marriage is built on compromise, it is conquered on the battlefield. According to the Bible, I'm the head of the house, and I get to make all the decisions my way, whenever I want and for whatever reason. And I don't understand why that makes me mad. Simple. something you want. Honesty. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> I know why you're laughing. <laughs> fact of the matter, as much as we laugh about it, that that uh, did you know America has the highest divorce rate of any country in the Western world. And that six out of uh, ten states with the highest divorce, divorce rate are in the South, in the Bible Belt, this area. And uh, the fact of the matter is also that By the time a child is 15 years of age, 40% of them will have uh, experienced a divorce or separation in their home. Now, I don't say all of that to try to beat up people or to say that to kind of bum us out and to kind of be down about it because can I tell you something? Those statistics are us. That's us. That's the church because the church are people who found out that there was a Savior who said, listen, doing life your way, it's not working. That I came to take your burdens, and I came to take them away from you, and I came to give you a life more abundantly. And so those people are, are, are we people, this is us. And so when we come into a church and we come into this life, this community of following Jesus, we bring with it all of our pain, all of our struggles, all of it. And you know what? I am so glad... All of us are here and there's a whole group of people out there who need to be in here and we want in here who are part of those statistics as well. But the thing is that we as a church, when we begin to move together, when we stand up and we say we're going to follow Christ and we're going to move after him, Jesus comes in and begins to change us and begins to work his wonderful work into us. And that's when we see marriages beginning to take on a whole different light. There's like two, amen. And uh, there are two struggles here that we have, two different views in life. One is the marriage model. The marriage model, for almost all time's sake, have been that you marry and then you prefer your mate and you do everything you can for your spouse to serve them and also the children, and so you do that. But we have another, we have another model of which we are, are affected by tremendously, and it's the model of individualism. And uh, I just read a great book called The Marriage Go-Round. Well, great book in the fact that it has recent statistics and, and all about marriages. And the, and the thing is that we believe both. When they did surveys, it's like, yeah, people want a marriage that lasts. People want a marriage where it prefers the partner where you love that person and you do all you can for them, and you love the kids and you do what's best for them. But at the same time, our, our culture has developed this other individualism. It's a, an entire culture. There's a marketing behind it. There's every, you can't go to a store. You can't watch television. You can't go anywhere that you're not affected by the market and the model of individualism, which is whatever is best for the individual is what is best, period. And so we have that clash in this Western culture, in this American culture to a high degree, and it's taken its residence in every single one of us. And so we come into church, and we read the Scripture, and we begin to get challenged, but we also gain hope that God is providing another way for us to do life. And I think this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5 this morning is just that. Ephesians 5, verse 21, we'll start with... And uh, let me say this, too, that, you know, this is this church in Ephesus uh, is living during a period of time when the Roman government was feeling a little bit challenged. It wasn't really feeling that challenged by Christians yet because there weren't that many of them. Uh, but former slaves uh, were suddenly taking on some new freedoms. Women in the Roman culture were taking on a little additional freedom. And the Roman... Uh, you know, the leaders of the men in the Roman government and in culture were starting to be a little threatened by it. And there were these mystery cults as well that were uh, prominent during this period of time. And so Paul is writing to this church and he's writing in such a way that he wants to be able to... Uh, he doesn't want to see the Christian community annihilated. You know, he doesn't want to see it wiped out. So he's got to be kind of careful how he writes because if if he... If he challenges the status quo too much, then the Romans come in and they kill off everybody. They annihilate them. And uh, it's not like our culture. We tend to read the scripture and we go, well, look, if I don't like something like right now, I will just grab a picket and I will go out in the streets, grab three or four of my friends, and I will complain about it till I can change it, right? Wonderful freedom that we have. They did not have that freedom then. They didn't have that. Christianity is very small in number, but it's beginning to build. It does have a different take on life. And some of its take challenge the status quo. So Paul writes into this in such a way as to move things along, but not to be so blatant that indeed the Roman government would come in and squash the whole thing. So he has to be very wise and meticulous with how he deals with this. And he is a very wise man. And as he writes these letters, these are letters that were written to a church in Ephesus while he was in a Roman prison, no doubt. So he's very well aware of what the Romans are up to and how tenuous the situation is. So that's where we're going to begin. Again, this is a, a little bit of a which controversial scripture. And you have a fill-in on the back of your handout. If you want to take it out, you should have been given a pen as well. And you can fill in and... Follow along with me if you'd like, and your first one is this. This is the roadmap, a roadmap to a marriage, a healthy marriage relationship out of this scripture, and your first feeling is this, is Christ at the center, Christ at the center, and let's read the first verse, we could put that up, thank you. Submit to one another out of reverence, literally fear to Christ, honor Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence or fear to Christ. And we'll come back to that word submit in just a minute. But if you read down through our section of scripture this morning, you are going to see Christ over and over and over again mentioned. Uh, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, uh, due to the Lord, uh, as Christ is the head of the church, is the Savior. Uh, Church submits to Christ. Husband loves your wives just as Christ loved the church. Christ, Christ, and before this, it's the Holy Spirit. You see, none of what we're about to talk about this morning works if Jesus is not the center of the marriage. It's just not going to work. It's going to be difficult even with Jesus. How difficult is that? (laughs) You know, it's going to be difficult because of the culture of individualism versus the culture of what God is trying, where he's trying to take us to. And so it's going to be difficult, but it's nearly impossible without having the power of the Holy Spirit in our relationships, in our marriages, without having someone to appeal to that has a little more sense than we do and a little bit more power than we do. Mutual submission, as we'll see in just a few minutes, is impossible without Christ being at the center of the relationship. What does it mean for Christ to be at the center? It means going to Him for counsel. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christian marriage and having Christ at the center is when you come to an impasse. Anybody ever come to an impasse in your marriage? Like, I mean, you have an opinion, your spouse has an opinion, and You come to an impasse and maybe you're very passionate about your position or whatever you want to do. Isn't it neat that if you have Christ at the center of your marriage, you can go to him individually and say, Jesus, what do you want? I mean, really, what do you want from us right now? Because I need to know. And not only you going individually, but how awesome is it to grab your spouse's hand in the middle of a very... Serious, heated, passionate, emotional moment before you say things you should not say, and to grab their hand and go, Can we just ask the boss about this? (laughs) You know, can we go to our Savior? Maybe Christ is Christ, 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 Lord, Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, my anger. And all of that, all of this is in the same area of the scripture. Why? Because Paul is saying to these Christian marriages, you don't have a chance to be what Christ wants you to be if you don't make him preeminent in the middle of it, in the center of it. And so what a wonderful thing to, yeah, when I got married, I, I just thought I'm going to marry a beautiful woman, have some kids, and then I'm going to ride motorcycles and surf and play in a band. <laughs> it's a beautiful life you know, and uh, I had no desire for her except she cooked good food and make great babies and try to make more babies and, you know, have fun. That was it. And, and I was a Christian, a new Christian. And then God began to speak and say, hey, you know, you are really limiting what this thing called marriage is all about. And so for the last almost 45 years, we've been on this journey to you know, to find out what that is, and we're still on it, and we're plotting away, and we're calling on God to help us, and, and, uh, but without Christ in the center of that, without knowing that he's the Lord over that relationship, it becomes a little more difficult. Now, I know the question because some of you are not married, you're not married to Christians, and uh, God has not left you without direction or support or hope. You have a church body that loves you and prays for you and and friends that are standing with you, and over in 1 Corinthians, uh, we're told by Paul that if you live with an unbeliever, that, you know, his suggestion is that you live like Christ in front of them in hopes and in prayer, that they become a believer, that they watch you, and, and as God works on them, that they come to, come to know him. But if they don't and they want to leave you because they don't want to be with you any longer and they're an unbeliever, then you're you're not bound. The word is bound anymore. You're not tied to that anymore. If they leave, not you leaving, they leave, that means you're not bound anymore. So there is is direction. That's another sermon, but I could not preach this without mentioning that because that is a frequently asked question, right? That is one that it, a lot of people goes. well, what you're saying, preaching sounds ideal, Tim, but that's not my situation. But God does have help for us in there. It doesn't mean it's got to be easy, but it does mean that with God there and preeminent in it and Him as the center of it, you can progress through this. Amen. So making Jesus... The Lord, the center of that marriage, first and foremost, and not your spouse even, making him the Lord. of You know, my spouse is not Lord of all. My my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, and he wants the best for us together. He has a plan for us. The two shall become one. Sometimes we ought to ask ourselves, you know, what does that one look like standing before God? Like if there was one person out of the two standing before God, what would he say to that one? And even ask, God, can I get a word from you for this one entity called this relationship called marriage? Because he speaks to the one as well as the individual. But we battle the culture of individualism. So it's different for us as Christians. And Paul starts this talk, this part of Scripture off. Well, actually, it's off through Ephesians and saying, make Christ preeminent. Keep him the center of it because he is the savior, not only of your soul. But He is the Savior of your relationships, of your heart, of the trouble and the stress that you're under. He is the Lord of all. So keep Him as the center of it. And if we want a healthy marriage relationship, that's where we have to start. Uh, Secondly, in verses 22 through 24, as we jump into this, uh, on the roadmap to having healthy relationships in our marriage, is uh, there must be a mutual submission among us as a couple. A mutual submission. Let's put the scripture up there and let's, let's read it. Wives, as an example of mutual submission, do so to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to their husbands in everything. Let's go back to the first part of that. I told you it was a little controversial in, uh, in this. I uh, Verse 21 says that we should submit to one another, right? We should submit to one another. Verse 22, of which there were no verses when this was written, no chapters. It was a letter written to this church. So at the first part of this, we read that we should submit to one another in fear of Christ. Well, in the Greek, the Greek language itself doesn't even have the word submit in verse 22. It's not there. The reason the translators put it there is so we would pick up The inference from 21, and that is there is a mutual submission expected from a couple. And so I took the the wording out of that Greek and, and changed it to wives as an example of mutual submission. Do so to your own husband because that's more what it, without us understanding the inference to 21, that's what it's saying. And if you want to check it out, check it out, because I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense to me. Because how many times have we read in the Scripture about submitting to one another? Remember, we've talked about that, right? Did you know every verse in the Bible that has anything to do with any other person and how you relate to them as a Christian also pertains to your spouse? where well, you are supposed to forgive one another remember that restore one another all those scriptures also pertain to your spouse there is a mutual submission in the body of Christ that is a picture of Jesus himself i mean just a few weeks ago we talked about Christ at the passover meal the night before he's arrested and before he's crucified and what does he do he he's having a meal his disciples come in and You know, his disciples and even one of their moms, you know, has said, hey, I want my sons to sit on your right hand and your left hand. I want to rule and I want to reign. And what does Jesus do? Jesus picks up the towel and he washes their feet. He washes their feet. And they are grabbing for crowns and Jesus is picking up a towel. I mean, that's the Jesus. That's the Christ-centeredness of this faith that we live. And if it doesn't, Work its way out in our marriages, then it's probably not as real to us as we think it is. Forgiving one another, we say, "Oh, I got to forgive that friend. They said something bad about me." But now my spouse—that's a whole other story because I live with them every day and I have to see it. And, but the same scripture is there to prefer one another. We read that scripture over and over again as Christians. We're to prefer one another and to, to serve one another, to help one another. But when it comes to a marriage, now that might be a little different. But the scripture, all the scriptures were written into the relationship of your marriage as well. And so mutual submission in the church body is a radical idea. It can only be probably... We can only see it practically worked out with the power of God. And that is with Christ being the center through the Holy Spirit. And that is like if you come to me and the minute you speak, if if I'm so halty as to think, what does this person have to say to me? If I I don't take on the personality and if I don't take on the position of a servant to listen, to submit myself, to hear what you got to say, then I may miss what God is saying. You get this? That is a mutual submission in the body of Christ. We listen to one another. We try to find out. And as we move forward in what God has for us, that mutual submission becomes even more important for us to have unity, for us to serve together and to serve each other in the process. And so mutual submission is it's expected from the husband and the wife, not, not just the wife. As a matter of fact, Paul, if he had preached that, you know, that... Uh, it, overtly in situations that, and we know that Paul believed that men and women were equal because that's what he said three different times in the scripture. We know that. But if he, had a, if he had approached this in such a way to challenge the Roman system so so radically, it would have brought the Roman government down on the Christian community. So he's walking this line of seeing God Get his way in the church and at the same time seeing that the church survives. Because their culture was not like ours. They did not live in this culture. They lived in a different one. So he says, submit to one another. Then he goes to the wives and he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Or as an example of mutual submission, wives, submit to your husbands. But that doesn't eliminate the husband from also at the same time submitting to the wife. Now, how does that work out? How does it work out? Well, I'll tell you something. If my wife has a better word than I'm getting at the moment, I want to hear it. If I got a decision to make, don't you want to listen to someone who may have the ear of God, you know, may have been talking to God, or maybe there's a situation with the children in the home and you're just at an impasse. You don't know what to do. Well, a couple can come together and mutually submit to one another and go, what can we do about this? How do we handle this? And if Christ is a sinner, you can go to him and ask him. And then together you make a decision, right? And you move on it. It's a mutual submission together. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that wives have to obey their husband. There is submission because there's a mutual submission between the two. We are going to see that there is much more from Paul about the husband loving the wife, which was very radical and caring for her. Which was a very radical statement in that period of time. Actually, he really put himself on the line for that one when he when he spoke about it. So mutual submission is it's a beautiful thing. It's not easy. Uh, when we got married, I, I mean, I had grew up in a in a home that we had a small business. My mom and dad did. My mom ran the had the did the books. My dad did the work, hired the people, all of this stuff. So I grew up around all of that my whole life and. Then I had a business for a while. I know how to pay bills. I know how to balance the books and all that, but I hate it. I hate it. I'm not good at it because I'd rather do other things like read, rather, you know. I'd rather do other things like, you know, meet people and, and, and things like that. And so when we got married, you all found out Karen loves to to pay bills. <laughs> she She loves. Now, she has a running commentary at times when she's paying them. Uh, which I hear of, uh, uh, you know, and, and all. But uh, we won't say who she's making reference to in the bills. But you know what? There's a mutual submission in that back in the 70s, I said, my wife's great at this. You know, she's really good at this. And, and it's ridiculous for me to take this on. And, and I mean, I, I'm really bad at, at it. I don't like it. And she loves it. And she does a great job at it. That kind of mutual submission and agreeing on that in different areas. Then everyone with their giftings and their callings. And, and now we get a chance to work together as a partner. You get this. This is where that mutual submission comes in. It can only happen with the help of God, though, because of our individualism. Because we are so, we feel so threatened by giving up some power or giving up some room to someone that, We don't want to do it. And so we feel threatened by it. But Christ has called us to a greater way of life. Jesus is the greatest example of it all. I told you last week. Going to the cross. Every time you want to see the servanthood of God. Look at the cross. Every time you want to see how God physically put his life on the line. And submitted himself. To our sins. For our good. Look to the cross. You see it. And that filters right down in the power of the cross right to our relationships where we submit ourselves to God first and then we look at each other and we go what's best for you what is best for you what is best for the family how can we do this the way God wants us to do it and we submit that to one another what we have how we do it our thoughts our wisdom our lack of knowing how to do things it's crazy when. God links you with someone when you find out together you're so much more than you are apart that uh, you can do a lot more and you can do it in a really wonderful way and enjoy it most of the time, actually, which is good. So mutual submission is a big thing. And, uh, and then uh, lastly in this scripture is over in verses 25 through 33 that the roadmap to a healthy marriage involves sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Wow. This is probably out of Ezekiel uh, 16 where God is talking about Israel and how Israel has is, is, is forsaken him, but she has taken, he has taken her back. And he is washing her and cleansing her and making her beautiful. And so uh, Paul, being a rabbi and knowing this story very well, uses this as an example. Because, again, Christ is the center. The picture is Christ in the church for this marriage, for our marriages. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Isn't it great when couples are radiant? When a wife is radiant, when, when especially when she's happy and she's laughing and... You can tell that the relationship is going well. And I think that's a picture of what Paul is saying is the radiance in the marriage because of the way the husband is loving as Christ loved the church. And it shows on the bride's face. It shows in her countenance. radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless that is set apart. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's a dedication to her that he's willing to leave things in order to be with her, leave his family that he was so comfortable with. This is a profound mystery. Even Paul says it's mysterious. So there's a lot to wrap our heads around. He's like, there's a mystery in this Christ in the church and marriage, husband and wife thing. But I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Respect is the word that the commentary say ties right back to the mutual submission again, honoring, listening to, respecting that. And so sacrificial love, this is a beautiful, really romantic picture of what Christ has done for us. Now he has taken us. He has cleansed us. He has washed us. He has made us radiant. Because of his forgiveness. And now he's doing his work in us. In the church body. As we all go together. And Paul says that's a picture of what your marriage can be like. Christ and the church. Submitting. Mutual submission together. Sacrificial love as you move. Into the things that God has for you. But it will take sacrifice. I mean, the fact that he mentioned the uh, man leaving his home. In other words, he didn't, you know, he had a place in this culture where he belonged. He had probably a job in that home where he was. And things were taken care of in that home. But when he married, it was time to leave that home. Hear me, man. Time to leave the home and go build a life together. Like my father-in-law told me the first Sunday after we got engaged so long ago, he said, she's all yours. And uh, (laughs) he did. He told me that walking through the back of the church that Sunday after I asked her to marry me on a Saturday night. He says, she was weeping. It was beautiful. And he says, she's all yours now. Don't bring her back. (laughs) And he didn't mean that because she was in trouble, because she wasn't. He meant, you know what, Tim? You take care of her. You love her. You care for her, you cherish. She's yours. You go and you build your life together now. That's a sacrificial love. And he points it out to the man more than he does the wife, absolutely, which was radical for this culture. Uh, he is stepping out of the bounds a little bit. The Romans would not understand this of love for the woman. There is where you you know the woman stayed in the house, kept the what house it was and cooked and did whatever he wanted and took care of the children. End of story. That was it. And so for him to come in and put so much on the man to say love and cherish was radical. But that is the picture of Christ and the church. And our marriages are a picture of Christ and the church. And Lord knows we need some help. (laughs) You know, we do need some help because, well, we just need some help. (laughs) You know, it, it's, I think marriage is a miraculous thing. And I think it needs miracles for us to enjoy it the way God has called us to enjoy it. And I think he has miracles for us. And I think he has this love through the cross of Christ that he wants to bring right down to your moment and your relationships so that you can experience what that's like in a very real way. And so... Hey, I want to say this to to my single friends here. You know, like I said, 90%, they say we'll get married at one time or other. 10% will not get married, but we need your help in this. And I'm going to ask us, uh, our, we have a response here in our church where we stand in response because we never go anywhere until we get up, right? <laughs> I mean, if you just sit where you are, you never make any progression. You never get down the road. You don't do anything as long as you're sitting. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask for those of us who are married and would say, gosh, I want to to learn to live like this. I really do. I'm going to ask you to stand as married couples. And then after that, though, I'm going to ask you singles to not let us stand alone. Okay? I'm going to ask you guys to stand up and say we're with you and will you be with me if my time comes to marry again or to or to marry will you be with us and so that we can stand together we hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from seacoast vineyard church in myrtle beach south carolina we look forward to you joining us next time on itunes or at our website www.seacoastvineyard.com